So there seems to be things in life uh, which are inevitable. I'm sure you can think of those things which you can just, you can kind of queue up. Uh, one of them, I firmly believe, is at some stage or another, you will be asked the question, do you like Marmite? It just seems to be a food. There's very few foods in life where you will be asked the question, do you like it? Uh, and you tend to fall into one category or the other. It's one of those foods that doesn't sit in the middle. Another thing that I found to be inevitable in life is that the shortest supermarket queue that I join will still see me served later than people who have joined way after me in a different queue. It's just one of those things. It doesn't matter which queue I'm in. It will always be the slowest queue. Other things I've noticed, there tends to be power cuts when I'm watching things I actually want to watch. I've never really had a power cut when I've just been content to sit in darkness. For some of us, we will make a decision. Ikea is the best place to buy furniture. Inevitably, that decision will be followed by Ikea is the worst place I could possibly consider to buy furniture from. For those of us that still purchase that furniture from Ikea, we will decide we can make things without instructions. And inevitably, we will find we cannot make things without instructions. And for some of us, like myself, I can't make things with the instructions either. And then finally, at some stage, inevitably, you will need to pack down after Christmas. There will be a point at which you need to start to pack down. Be it now, in a few weeks' time, this season that we've been preparing for, for what seems like summer until kind of December, is passing. Hands up if your tree is gone. Oh, wow, I, okay, not just me, thank you. Uh, hands up if your decorations have come down, but your tree is still present. Okay, there's a good mix. <clears throat> but we do it, don't we? We take down the tree, we take down the decorations, we recycle all the cards. We allow what was Christmas to pass by. We pack away the manger, the wise men, the shepherds, Mary and Joseph. We pop baby Jesus carefully in his box and we place it safely away for another year. And then if you're anything like me, you will sit proud as punch in your living room just as it should be, without all the clutter and the mess, and drink a cup of tea content in the knowledge you survived Christmas. But we do it, don't we? We look at Christmas almost as a yearly cycle that simply is something we look at at the right season that we consider when it's optimum, but then we just allow it to pass by. It's a theme that came up throughout Advent. Is there more to this story than maybe we give it credit for? More than just fluffy sheep and children dressing up as stars? I think we read way more in the nativity than maybe we originally see, maybe more than meets the eye on the first reading. And I want to explore that a little bit this evening. So I ask you, before we fully pack up Christmas for 2018, before we just lay that whole story to bed for another year, would you just, with me this evening, journey once more into the nativity, just to see what maybe God is saying to us through it that maybe we haven't noticed through the season so far? I'm going to invite Ruth up, who's going to come and give us our reading this evening.
chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. The birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. A story I'm sure we are all incredibly familiar with. This evening I've taken three points from this story. I genuinely believe there's six or seven things we could talk about, but if you're like me, there's one of two things. Either you spent this afternoon eating a huge amount of chocolates and biscuits you were given for Christmas and therefore you are tired, or you are extremely excited to go home and carry on eating chocolates and biscuits, and you wouldn't appreciate being here for another two hours as we unpack everything that God's saying. So I want to focus on three things that I think are very important and unknown to me crossed over hugely with what Mark said this morning and tie in massively with the prayers that people prayed this evening. So I'm very excited to just explore maybe what God might be saying to us as a church. I want to pick up first on that first little section. In those days, Caesar Augusta issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem to the town of David, because he belonged to the house 
and the line of David. First thing I want to do here is look at the importance that Luke places on this being a real story. Luke doesn't start with once upon a time. He doesn't start with when they were in the burrow. He doesn't say our story finds us on a crisp winter's morn. Instead, he says these lines, in, those day, in the days of Caesar Augustus, he has placed this story on a world stage. This is a reality. This is now easily historical fact. Luke wants us to know this is not some fabricated fairy tale. This is real, and it's happening in the real world. And he is paying a level of respect to the authorities that were in power at the time to the people that were making the decisions. And that's crucial and that excites me hugely because what Luke says is there is a gentleman and he has made a decision and all of the people under his power are now scattering like rats. There is en masse movement. I am sure there are people that took journeys far longer than Joseph and Mary had to undertake. There was mass movement at the words of a man. And Luke acknowledges this earthly power. Which puts a real conflict in us when we then listen to the words that Mark shared with us this morning from Micah. That it was said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But the only reason that Joseph and Mary have gone to Bethlehem is because Caesar Augusta issued a decree that meant everyone had to return back to their homes. Which I think puts us in an interesting situation because we can ask this question of this whole story. Who's in control? Who's in control? Because I'm fairly sure Caesar Augustus thought he was in control. But we've already read in the prophets that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and Now Caesar Augusta has got Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, so are we saying this is just really good coincidence? Or are we beginning to accept that the earthly powers and authorities are sat under a higher authority? That maybe they don't call all of the shots? I think this is an amazing question for us to consider in this day and age because it opens up a whole category of areas of life that maybe we sit under that we don't need to. Who are the powers over you? Are we sat under a government that make the final decision for us? Maybe it's friends and family that call all the shots for you. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe your finances dictate what you can do. Maybe it's ill health. But I think what we see here is that whilst those things maybe feel like they are in control, they are not. All of them, people and circumstances, sit under a higher authority. They are playing along to a choir and an orchestra that is controlled and orchestrated by God. You are not held by your circumstances. They are not bigger than your God. They will not dictate the things you can and can't do. I think what we see here in Luke, we see daily in our lives, which is people pretend to have it all together. 
and they pretend to be in control. And I'm sure Caesar Augustus thought he was in control when he made this statement. But the truth was there was a higher authority. And that higher authority had control. So I want you to consider for a moment in your life, who is in control? Do you let the circumstance and the situations around you dictate what you think is your potential? Or do you accept that there is a God who is above all of that, who can create opportunity, can do infinitely more? Who is in control? That question leads on perfectly to our second point. Once we've accepted that maybe who we think is in control isn't, it opens up a whole scope for maybe what is the potential that sits within each of us. And that turns us straight to this wonderful part with Mary. We read in verse 5, He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, her son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I love this part. There is a huge amount we could say about this whole interaction with Mary and Jesus and Joseph. But I want to focus on this fact that to begin with, we have to accept Mary is somewhat of an accessory to the story. Mary is only going where she's going because she's pledged to be married to Joseph. Mary is not making decisions. She's not calling the shots. She is not front and center. She is not the star of the show at this point. She is being led by the circumstances around her. She is a part of a story. And then we see this amazing moment where Luke flips the script. Where Luke steps in and begins to change the wording and the way that he talks. We go from, he went there to register with Mary, to this, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in a cloth, placed him in a manger. Mary is now front and center, smack in the middle of what's happening. There is no account for Joseph at this point. This is about what's going on with her and with her firstborn son. I don't know if you've considered the fact that Mary's gone from simply following Joseph, being a bit part in his story, to finding herself front and center of another story. I don't know if you've considered that Mary wasn't in the place that she could give birth because it was said that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. So through no fault of her own, she goes on a journey to get to Bethlehem so that she can give birth to Jesus in the place that it was foretold 
I want you to hear this. It doesn't matter how you get to where God's getting you. He is getting you to where he needs you. It doesn't matter if you don't feel like you're in control of the situation that's taking you to a place. God is taking you to the place he needs you. Mary was not an addition to someone else's story. Mary wasn't just an extra in Joseph's story. She very much had her own story. And she had her own story that neatly laid itself into God's story. So for some of you, you need to hear this. You are not the addition to someone else's story. You are not simply playing the part to make sure that someone else gets to stand front and center in their story. There will be times when you support, times when you allow others to have opportunities, but you are very much at the center of the story God has for you. You are at the center of the story God has for you, and you will see that your story is folded into his story. And it is crucial that each of us accepts that no matter what people have said over us, no matter what dreams we've given up, what opportunities we think have passed us by, God has a plan for your life and he will use your story in his story. I'm almost positive. I'm, in fact, I'm going to go all the way to say I am 100% sure Mary as a little girl did not sit there and go, you know what, the plan for my life is this. I'm going to miraculously become pregnant. And then I'm going to get thrown onto a potential donkey and taken 80 miles across to Bethlehem, a place that maybe I don't really care about. And there I'm going to get shoved out the back with some animal. Like, it's not the plan. But yet somehow her story is key to God's story. So maybe your life doesn't look exactly how you hoped it would, but please do not give up on your dreams and aspirations. Because God will use you. He will use you in ways that don't make sense. Put you in places that you do not want to be. And yet somehow in those places and using those gifts and those skills that you have, he will fold them into his story. And you will find yourself speaking to people in places you don't want to be and transforming their lives. And they will be folded into God's story. Mary went because Caesar had called a census. She went because Joseph needed to go and she was under his care. And right in the middle of feeling like she was just playing a part in everyone else's story, suddenly she becomes front and center of her own story. I think too many of us decide that we just want to play a support role. Maybe a few of us would just settle for being the footnote in someone else's story. A nice honourable mention at the back of their book. But God has more for you than that. God has more because for each of us there is a purpose and a plan. So please do not have given up. Rekindle those dreams and those ambitions. Be re-inspired by a God who wants to use you.
Mary was right where God needed her to be. Right where God needed her to be. Trust you are right where he needs you to be. That leads us again into our final point. Please just work with me on this final point and then I will allow you to pack away Christmas 2018 and you can be done with it. It's found in verses 9 and 10. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Sometimes as I spend time preparing a message or just reading, I get stuck on an element of a passage. It just nags. It keeps coming back to me. It doesn't necessarily develop into anything anyone else will hear, but it just works its way within me. And this, for me, since I started to read and prepare back in November, has stuck with me. Why am I never terrified of what God's doing? Why am I never terrified anymore? Why have I become so comfortable and so settled that I've lost a level of terror? Everything is neatly packaged. Everything fits. I can predict what's coming. I plan my week. I know where I'm going. I keep myself safe and content and comfortable. And somewhere in that, I think I've lost the wonder and the awe of terror. I wonder for you the question of when were you last terrified by what God was doing? When were you last terrified of what God might ask you to do? I think there's a very real challenge to this because I don't think God isn't doing terrifying things anymore. God is still doing things that leave humanity terrified. He has taken missionaries to places that are scary. He is in situations and positions and places that are difficult. Which leaves us with this conclusion. It left me with this conclusion. This is as much about me as it is about maybe some of you. I'm the one who's not in the places that are terrifying. I'm the one who is left out on the sideline while God is doing some amazing things. We aren't becoming part of something that leaves us uncomfortable. I love this little piece of the passage. I love this crazy little interaction that we have the privilege of being uh, observers of. A situation arises that terrifies the shepherds, so much so that the first line that has to be said to them is, do not be afraid, repeated throughout the Bible at situations where things are really very scary, the opening line is, do not be afraid. So guess what, my prayer for 2019 is this. I want to be in situations where the first words I hear when I come to prayer is do not be afraid. That's the life that I want to start living, that when I engage with God, I start to hear him saying, you know what, do not be afraid, but there are going to be some situations that maybe warrant being afraid. And then that following line, and I want this 
in that same kind of prayer for 2019. I want to bring good news that will cause great joy for all people. Because I don't think the two don't go hand in hand. I think they very much go hand in hand. Do not be afraid. But the thing that you're going to need to do, the place you're going to need to go, the people that need to hear this message, the message will bring great joy. The cost, doing something uncomfortable. Go into the places that maybe you don't want to be. I want to be in that situation where I am so far out of my own comfort zone. So far out of my own comfort zone and so far into that realm, that opportunity, that environment that God nurtures, that my only response, the only possible thing I can do is lean 100% into God. Is to be so dependent on him to keep my eyes fixed on what he's doing. To trust him completely. And to know that when everything is done and dusted, that only he can take the glory for what happened. I want to find myself in those places. It wasn't coordinated at all. In fact, me and Mark very rarely talk to each other over Christmas. We just need some space. But he mentioned it this morning. He talked about mission. I think mission is one of those areas in our lives that kind of makes us sit up a little bit, leaves us a little bit on edge, a little bit uncomfortable. You know what? I will give to mission all day long if I can just give to mission. Because if I can give to mission, technically I've done mission. What does it look like if mission maybe is beginning to say to me, actually, you need to step out of your church and into the high street into the lives of those who don't interact in this place? What if just giving to mission actually means more than just my finances and my resources? What if giving to mission demands me? What if giving to mission begins to demand us? Please do not stop giving to mission. But what if it demands more? What if the only way that we get terrified of what God is doing again is to put ourselves in situations that are terrifying? And then hear those words as we pray in the dark when we're afraid and we're confused and we're not sure what's coming next. And as we close our eyes and we begin that prayer, we just hear those comforting words, do not be afraid. I want to put myself in those situations. I am saying this, it's recorded. You guys are hearing it. I have 12 months to try and find myself in a situation where I am genuinely terrified. And saying it, scares me. But I'm not content just to hear other people's stories. I'm tired of reading about these shepherds who were nobodies, who were nobodies, who suddenly are front and center of what God is doing on earth. So I'm beginning to think that being scared is the way to get to the front row of what God is doing on earth. Putting yourself in those places that are outside of your comfort zones. I want us to be a people who know God is in control, even when the world pretends it is, that knows God is in control. 
I want us to be a people that know no matter how insignificant we feel, no matter how much we think our opportunity has passed us by, God has a plan for us and he will bind our story with his story. And I want to find myself, and I pray it's your prayer too, that we find ourselves in that tension between terrified and excited. Terrified of what God might do and excited at the same time of just what he might do. That we would be a people fully dependent on him. There is so many elements to this story. So many bits we just read and gloss over because they are bit parts. They're building to something else. We want to already get to Jesus' miracles. But yet we see in the birth narrative God already at work highlighting how people need to respond to his world. There is so much more. So much more. And I pray as we close off 2018, as we look ahead to 2019, we would be terrified of just how much God could do, just how much he might ask of us, but content and secure in the knowledge that he goes with us, that he won't abandon us. And in Jesus we see he did it first. First. 